You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. Today's episode is an on-air coaching call where I take a fellow yoga teacher through a mini strategy session. These on-air coaching calls are a great way to get a taste of what it's like to work with me one-on-one, but they're also a fascinating peek into the brain and business of other yoga teachers. The teachers who participate are incredibly generous and brave to allow me to share their experience, their stories on the podcast, and I have so much respect for each of them. If you would like my help with your teaching or your yoga business, I'd love to connect with you. You can find out more about my paid strategy sessions at teachingyoga.net slash coaching. You can also get peer help from other listeners on the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. If you're not a member yet, go to teachingyoga.net slash join. And if you're curious about doing an on-air coaching call yourself and sharing your story with my podcast audience... I currently offer those opportunities to patrons of the podcast. To find out more about becoming a patron, go to teachingyoga.net slash patron. That's P-A-T-R-O-N, patron. In fact, I'd love for you to go do that right now. Pause this, and when you come back, we'll jump into today's conversation. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm really good. Excited to chat today. Yeah, me too. I'm having a little fangirl moment because I just love your podcasts. And Thank you. <laughs> yes. Even if it's not a topic that applies to me, I just get some like amazing little nugget every time. So I just really want to say thank you first because I'm, I'm loving all the resources that you have to offer. So you're very, very welcome. So you wanted to talk today about whether or not you should teach privates. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of my main thought. Awesome. Let's start with just a really brief introduction of how long you've been teaching and where you teach and why you're considering privates. Sure. So um, I've been a teacher for uh, a little over a year and a half now. Um, I just finished my 300 hour uh, this past fall, so 500 hour now. Um, and so I started out, you know, I kind of just took the first job that, that came to me or the first quote unquote yoga job that came to me uh, teaching in a studio. And it was a really great experience at first, but um, it was maybe not the most appropriate commitment for me. The drive was with traffic could be up to an hour. So to drive that far to just teach two group classes was really not ideal when you have a family. So anyways, it quickly, probably after about six months, I started realizing that was really not the wisest choice. And in the meantime, I had started teaching a couple classes closer by. So um, I almost made it to my one year commitment and I had to bow out because my family was just not doing well with me really spreading myself too thin. So anyways, I'm still teaching group classes um, at the one studio that's a little bit closer to me and loving that. Um, I've scaled back my schedule a little bit there as well. And then I I've started teaching a once a month more workshop style at another studio. Um, it's more of like a um, yoga for stress relief. Uh, so that was kind of fun to 
2012. So, um, and then I'm planning, uh, I have a retreat in the works for this coming fall that my, my trainer is going to be joining me and teaching that as well. So, so it is pretty amazing, isn't it? How challenging it can be to coordinate a family and a teaching career because the obligations of teaching are so frequently overlap at like peak family times, you know, like you don't want to be away every night teaching. That's so tough. Right. Yes. Well, one, I mean, so two of my group classes are at five 30 in the morning. So that's kind of a really amazing time because nobody's even awake yet when I leave and I'm most of the time I'm home before everyone's up or they're maybe just waking up. So that's kind of nice because those are my two uh, regular classes. My other ones are, are, um, every other week. So that kind of balances out a little bit, but yes, as you said, it can be, that's part of the tricky balancing. <laughs> so let's talk about what your goals are for your teaching. What is it that you want to accomplish through teaching? You know, I guess I, I've never really had a big like financial goal or like, a um, you know, this is how I want to spend my time specifically or anything like that. I just, uh, I just love helping people and being of service to others. And I almost get emotional about it because it just really, that just makes my little heart sing. So anytime I can combine what I'm doing and really feel like I can be of service to others, it, it just really, that's what really brings me joy. Um, and I kind of, I had a little, you know, kind of meltdown towards the end of my 300 hour training because I came across something that I wrote at the be very beginning of my 200 hours. So over two years ago when I wrote down, um, what I wanted to be doing and realizing that maybe didn't line up. And yes, we, you know, we're allowed to change our minds and things like that. But I really had this moment of wondering, am I helping anyone? Because I'm teaching in a, in a studio where people pay to come see me and they're not, you know, I'm not really teaching anyone. Um, I, I guess I had this totally different vision of what I was going to do when I started out, but um, kind of after putting it out to the universe and, and spending time in prayer and meditation and whatnot, um, that following week, then I had, I had multiple people come up to me after group class and, and tell me about this really emotional experience they had or whatever it was. And so it was the kind of my aha moment, like, oh, I can really help people in this setting too. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, teaching in a treatment facility or whatever. Um, so I guess coming back to your question about goals, it's just my goal to really be of service and to feel like I'm helping and maybe fulfilling some sort of need where I'm at. Um, so I, I, I'm somewhat feeling that way. You know, I love my group classes. I love where I am at, but I would love to also, I, I don't know, that's, that's where I guess maybe my question about privates comes in is, is how I can maybe, um, you know, better make that connection with individuals or, you know, as you said, is that going to fit in with my family schedule? Is that going to be a wise choice for me as a career right now? And all of that. Yeah. I think it's a really important insight that you had that the question of payment is separate from the question of being of service. And human psychology is so interesting, but sometimes we actually can help people better when they pay. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people are more receptive because it's never a one-way street, right? And we wouldn't want it to be. We wouldn't want to be walk in and be the savior of somebody. And I think this is a place where a lot of yoga teachers get confused where, for example, they'll have a class and the class won't be working for them for some reason, whether it's the schedule or the 
studio management or whatever it is, it's just not working for them. And they'll be like, oh, but my students need me. And that is a, I think that's a confusion there. You are operating as a channel for the teachings of yoga. Your students might need the teachings of yoga, but to imagine that you are the only channel that could possibly work for them is like, that is a, that's confusion. (laughs) That's just not true. And so for most yoga jobs, like if you were to leave, somebody else would take your place and who's to know if that other person might not be the better channel for, (laughs) for those (laughs) students. Like we, that, that's more than we can know. But what we do know is that it has to be a two-way street. We, each of us as humans have to participate in our own healing and our own growth. So it's never the teacher just spoon feeding, right? It's a relationship. It has to be a relationship. And within that, and I think this is a very predominantly modern Western way of interacting with the world, but we tend to value what we pay for and we tend to pay for what we value, meaning we choose what we spend our money on based on our values. And so sometimes as yoga teachers, we get this sense like, oh, I need to, in order to be of service, in order to serve people, I need to be doing charity classes. And that can be a really wonderful valid path for some people, but it's not necessarily the way that you're going to help people the most. It may be, it may not be like, each person has to kind of go on this journey of figuring out how to be of service on their own. There's nobody who can, like, it's your path. It's your path to figuring out how to be of service. And there's nobody who has walked that path exactly before you. <laughs> you got you to gotta forge your own path. So I just wanted to highlight that because that insight that you had is so important that, yes, you can be of service in any environment. You can be of service to any type of person and whoever it is that you want to be of service to, they have to opt in to that. So for example, you could teach at a treatment center and some of the students would opt in. Some of the students would choose to participate in the relationship and others would show up and maybe they would benefit a little, but they wouldn't benefit to the same degree as if they opted in and they said, yes, I'm going to participate in my own healing. That's very true. And it is, as teachers, it's just not our responsibility to force people or convince or coerce people to opt in. It's our responsibility to be there and be available when people are ready to opt in. So with that, with the question of privates, my first question is, have you ever taken a private? I have not. That's a good question. <laughs> I think that you can't know whether or not to teach privates if you've never taken one. Mm-hmm. To experience that format of teaching as a student to know whether or not it resonates with you. Okay. And it sounds like you have a teacher that you already have a pretty strong relationship with. Mm-hmm. Who you're, you're co-teaching with a bit. So that's the first place I would go if it were me is I would sign up for a private with her. And then if you have any other teachers in your area that you are intrigued by, or maybe who have like a successful private yoga business and you're kind of like, all right, what is it about this person that 
that this is working for them. And as you go in, you are definitely in the role of student and you get to receive and you get to see if you enjoy being in the role of student in a private session. And at the same time, most yoga teachers, if you ask them, you know, how did you get into teaching privates? What do you like about teaching privates? Right. You can also ask them some more meta questions. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even think of actually trying it for myself first. Yeah. It's kind of like, imagine trying to become a yoga teacher, but never having taken a yoga class. True. <laughs> yeah. it, could, it could happen, but you learn so much, especially once you've been through teacher training, you learn so much from taking classes, even classes that you don't particularly love. You learn a lot about what you don't want to do. Oh, very much. Yes. Just even thinking, thinking about signing myself up for a private though, definitely gives me anxiety. <laughs> so yeah. Tell me more about that. Um, I don't know that just, uh, I don't, so even though, yeah, I'm a teacher, I don't love being put on the spot and I don't like feeling like the attention is on me. So even when I teach a class, I, um, you know, I prefer to, uh, obviously we, maybe we're all guiding students inward, but I really like to focus that way. Not look at, look at me and how I can do a pigeon or something. I really, I don't know. So that, that freaks me out a little bit, but if, if I am to consider teaching privately, I would have to consider also making myself that vulnerable. Well, and I imagine that the, t the teachers who are very successful at teaching privates have some very specific techniques to help people put people at ease and help mm -hmm. them not feel like they're on the spot. So that would be something to really pay attention to. And when I experience anxiety, I don't see anxiety as a stop sign. I see it as a pay attention sign. And then I get to use my prefrontal cortex, the higher thinking part of my brain to analyze, well, why is this fear response coming up? Because anxiety is coming from your midbrain. It's coming from your survival mechanism. And objectively, receiving a private does not actually threaten your life. Are we on the same page here? Right, yes. Okay. <laughs> so when we have a situation that's not actually life-threatening, and yet it's triggering, anxiety is a trigger of that self-protective mechanism then we ask ourselves, okay, well, so what is it? What is it that I'm actually afraid of? Like, what's the worst that could happen if I were in a private class and somebody were really focused on me? I, I think, I don't know, probably just always goes back to that not good enough thing. Like, you know, not yoga enough, not advanced enough, not something enough. Yeah. And so if you were in a private session and, and who makes the judgment about not not good enough. Is this the teacher judging you or is this you judging yourself? That's, that's me. Yeah. Okay. So you're in a private session and you judge yourself as not good enough. What, what next, what happens then? What's the, what's the consequence of that? I'm just feeling badly, I guess. Um, yeah, it would probably be a growth experience for me, you know? Yeah. And if you're with a skilled teacher, then Ideally, you would be communicating some of this to that teacher. If you have some kind of, you know, a rapport with, their, with the teacher, you might let them know this is a thing that comes up for me. This is what I'm feeling. They might be asking you, you know, what are you feeling right now? What's coming up for you? 
And if you are there to do the work, if you're opting into the relationship, then you're going to be honest about it, right? You're like, well, I'm having some fear around not doing this well enough. Mm -hmm. The teacher would take it from there of, you know, continuing to do the inquiry with you. Like if even we as teachers are having these stories about not being good enough at a pose, which we know logically there's no such thing as good enough or not good enough. We know this. How much are our students having that story coming up in their heads? Right. So if you put yourself in that situation and you put yourself into the hands of a skillful teacher and you watch, how do they help you through that? That's how you learn how to help other people through it. Mm. And the reason that I highly recommend teaching privates to any yoga teacher who's interested in it is that you will learn things in those privates that you can then use in the rest of your classes. You'll learn skill sets. You'll learn ways of paying attention. You'll learn ways of holding space that will transfer out to other situations. So even if you don't end up making privates a cornerstone of your business model, I still think it's valuable to take privates and to teach privates. If that's, you know, if you're curious about it, if you're interested in it, I certainly wouldn't for somebody who's like, I never want to do that. That's fine. (laughs) But if you're thinking about it, take some privates. Anxiety comes up. Great. Good work. Go there, work with the anxiety. See, see what tools the teacher has to help you explore that and um, see where it goes. See what you learn from that. Yeah, no, I definitely could see um, learning, learning so much, you know, for myself in a private session, but also giving a private session, um, just hearing more because maybe that person's thing won't be the anxiety or maybe they're having anxiety about, but for a totally different reason. And like you said, bringing that to a group setting because other people are probably feeling the same way, you know, and I feel like because I already have these feelings and I am a person driven towards anxiety, I tend to speak to that during my classes. And we talk, I talk a lot about ego and you know, not worrying about what anyone else is doing. And if you have the, you know, how modifying I think is something that takes so much courage because, you know, you're also, you're giving your, your body permission to do what it needs to do. But I always also speak to the fact of it's helping your neighbor feel safe and comfortable to do the same. So almost seeing it as you're being a service to others when you modify or when you don't have the perfect whatever pose. So, um, but I could see gleaning a lot more of that from, you know, individuals and hearing what their thought process is too. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, as the teacher, when you look at the things that are giving you anxiety and you face them head on and you explore them, you're being the example too, right? You're living your teaching. Mm -hmm. You want to, we want to make sure that when we are giving advice to our students, that we are taking our own advice. And because it's so easy to know the right thing to say, but actually acting on that, if it were easy, then we, you know, we wouldn't even need to say it, right? right. The, the things that we say in our classes that we know are the right things to say, it's because they're hard. Mm-hmm. But then in order to have integrity, we have to act on it. (laughs) We have to follow our own advice. And to me, like, even though I heard you say that, you know, you want to help and you want to be of service and that's why you teach, Mm -hmm. you also want to help yourself and be of service to yourself. 
And that is one of the benefits. We don't get 401k as yoga teachers. <laughs> we don't get health insurance, but we do get this major, major opportunity to walk our talk yeah. by living what we teach and not letting ourselves off the hook because we know, hey, if I said this to my students, I got to do it. True. Very true. <laughs> yeah, very true. Yeah, sometimes it does feel like I'm getting more than I'm giving almost. <laughs> and that's fine. Yeah. What else? Do you have other questions about privates or does that feel like, okay, well, that's my next step? Yeah, no, I do feel confident about moving forward, at least taking steps, like you said, setting up private for myself at first. And then, as you said, even if it doesn't resonate, like feel like it could be a cornerstone of my business, um, it could be just, yeah, it could fit into our schedule if I, if it's, if I keep it to, you know, whatever feels right, maybe just one or two clients or something like that. I guess I'll see what, what builds from that. Yeah, absolutely. You can try it out. You could do it for a few months and then decide, no, this isn't for me, or it could evolve into a major part of your business for sure. Okay. Um, I guess my other question about that is, um, and again, this would be something that I can learn through taking privates too, but how do you, how does a, per, does a teacher screen, do some like sort of pre-screening? Of course, like beyond just a questionnaire, um, just to sort of maintain that comfort level and feeling of safety for both parties and things like that. Or maybe that just happens on its own because Maybe I don't do private with anyone that I don't already have a relationship with or. In the beginning, as you kind of hinted at, most of your private clients, you're already going to know. So it's unlikely unless you become, unless it becomes a major part of your business and you start doing advertising, it's unlikely that you're going to be contacted by strangers just because you put it up on your website right. <laughs> or whatever. It doesn't mean that people are going to start ringing your, you know, ringing your doorbell saying, Hey, give me, a, I need a private. I want a private. So if it got to that point, I think that there's a few things you could have in place. One would be an office space that you rent. That's in a building with other people, for example. Mm -hmm. So you could see anybody literally, especially if you have like a shared lobby and then it's just a public space. So mm -hmm. you're not, they're not, you're not going to their home. They're not going to your home and you're meeting in a place where there's other people around. So that right there is, that's about as safe as you can get. And anybody who's like, this question actually is like, it comes from the anxiety brain too, right? Because the actual logical likelihood of somebody being like, I would like to rape and murder someone. I think I'll look for a <laughs> character. I mean, that, that likelihood is so, so much lower than you getting in your car and dying in a car crash that it's almost crazy that right. your brain would think of that before. <laughs> like, but when you get in the car every day, you don't go, okay, <laughs> this is the most likely way for me to die. Right. I'm, <sighs> you know, right. We just get in the car. We just do it every right. day. So there's that part of it. It's like recognizing that to some degree, this question is the anxiety brain. Now, when the anxiety brain comes up, you, we still have choices about how we want to deal with it. So one way of dealing with it would be putting um, safety measures into place, like having that public place where 
you know, then you don't have to think about it anymore. This is about as safe as any, you know, any type of service provider is going to get a massage therapist, a counselor, a physical therapist. Like you, you don't hear a lot of stories about these people being attacked in their offices. So even if you were to do say a mobile service where you go to people's homes, again, 90% of the people are going to be people you already know. And then knowing you have an anxiety brain, which is a lovely brain and is, you know, like <laughs> it kept your ancestors alive long right. enough for you to be born. So <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it at all. So knowing that about yourself, you might just say, yeah, I only, I only work with women. If I don't know you, you have to be a woman. I don't work with men. I don't know. Sorry. Okay. And those are just some ideas. Ultimately, it's up to you. But I would say that at this stage, that's not something that I would spend a lot of time worrying about because you're only, you're only just experimenting with this. And right. when you experiment, it's almost inevitably going to be with people you already know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Very true. I won't have, I probably won't have people beating me down, beating down my door. <laughs> please give me happens. a yoga private, please. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it could be amazing. Could happen. So what else? Um, I think that was, that was most of what I had for a question. Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to thank you so much for being so honest and so vulnerable in this session. I know that there are hundreds of other yoga teachers out there who feel similarly to you and listening to your story is going to give them a lot of sense of being normal, being okay, <laughs> having some perspective. Yeah, it really means a lot that you were willing to come on the podcast and, and really be so honest. Well, I appreciate your time very much. Like I said, I, I love your, I love your podcast and I love the, the little community online and it's all been really helpful to me. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Amber. And I would love for you to stay in touch and do those first privates and let me know how they go. Yeah, I definitely will. What the results are. All right. Take care. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you again to the generous and courageous yoga teachers who participate in these coaching calls. I've had so many listeners reach out to let me know how helpful they are, and that would not be possible without the passion and vulnerability that you embody. And also want to give a huge thank you to the patrons of the podcast who contribute to the expenses on a monthly basis. If you're curious about deepening your connection to this community and becoming a patron, I hope you'll go to teachingyoga.net slash patron to find out about the different levels of contribution and all of the perks and benefits of becoming a patron. Every single month I do an online training just for patrons of the podcast, and I also provide downloadable resources designed to help you take action on what you learn when you listen to the podcast.
I'm so very, very grateful to have you as a listener, and I would be incredibly delighted and honored to also have you as a patron. Keeping these podcast episodes free from outside ads is really important to me, and the patrons of the podcast are what make that possible. Once again, the link to get all the details and to sign up is teachingyoga.net slash patron. And whether or not contributing to the podcast is something you're interested or is a possibility for you in this moment, I hope that you'll remember to center your own self-care and your personal practice this week. And I'll see you next week for another episode of the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. 